Hello and welcome to another episode of Grow a Healthy Soul. And I pray that you are prospering even as your soul is prospering. Let's talk about your soul today. How's your soul doing? Maybe you are a leader, a pastor, a business owner, or simply wanting to grow in your emotional health. Are you aware of your inner conversations, your inner convictions, your, your deepest motivations, fears or desires? In other words, do you know you as a person? Well, today I'm going to talk about you and you are going to think about you. And the topic of today's episode is three major ways you will get to know yourself. And I pray and believe this will be a blessing, not just to you, but to your family, your spouse, your children, if you have them, your church and your friends. God bless you as you listen to this episode. Now, immediately as soon as I introduce this topic, we're going to talk about you. Some people could have an immediate response. Well, we're not supposed to talk about me, are we? I mean, it's not all about me, myself and I, isn't it? Well, I want to lay a foundation, a foundation before I continue talking about why it is actually very important to think about yourself and to get to know yourself because the way you look at you has an impact not just on you but on those around you jesus taught us love god with all your heart with all your mind with all your soul and all your all your strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself in other words the way you look at you the way that you receive god's love for you is the way you will project that love to others. It's so important to look at the glasses that you're wearing, to think about how you think about yourself, because it has an effect, not just on you, but on those around us. Also, Christians and Christian leaders, they often forget that they are a person before they are a pastor. Uh, they are a person with a soul before they are a leader and to get to know that person uh, it, it's paramount it's 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 so important to be in touch with with who you are but also sometimes the most challenging of endeavors because it can be confronting we, we often spend a lot of time getting to know everyone else and not enough time getting to know ourselves maybe because we are afraid of what we will find there, or maybe we don't just think it's very important. Uh, uh, or we don't see who, who we really are and how we're wired, why we think what we think, why we say what we say, and why we do what we do. But once you get to know yourself better, you will also get to know God better. Augustine wrote in Confession, how can you draw close to God when you're far from your own self? And I have found over the years that the more I get to know myself, the more I grow in closeness to God. 
the more I can love others. Like Calvin wrote, wisdom consists in the knowledge of God and of ourselves. So before you think about getting to know other people, it's important getting to know you. Now, there are, of course, a lot of ways in which to get to know yourself, but I'm now going to share three major ways that I think are often overlooked. Number one, heritage habits. The first major way in which you will get to know yourself is discovering your heritage habits. What, is, what do I mean with that? Well, heritage is the full range of your inherited traditions, monuments, objects, and culture. Uh, of course, that can be interpreted in a broad way, for example, uh, to do with a, an entire country or region where you grew up in. But I want to zoom in on your family traditions, uh, the heritage that you received from those who raised you, from your parents and those who raised you. Zooming in on, on, that, on your family, I have some questions for you to think about how you were raised and to think about how that influenced you. Here are some questions. What were the spoken and unspoken rules that you grew up with? Number two. What kind of traditions were important to your parents? Number three, what was the connection like between your parents and your grandparents? Between your parents and your siblings? Between you and your siblings? And between your parents themselves? The next question, what was the language like? Was it positive? Was it releasing? Was it silent? Was it embracing? Was it disconnective? Was it harsh? Was it warm? Was it negative? Was it accepting? Was it rejecting? I remember when I received some coaching in this area, and started to think about my upbringing, there were so many positive things I can mention. And I'm so grateful for my parents and for my upbringing. But of course, like everyone else, my parents are not perfect. And so the things they inherited and the personalities that they have influenced me and, and my personality. And I remember thinking about some things that I had never thought about before receiving some insight on, for example, the language of uh, my parents, uh, especially my father, uh, to, not just towards me, but, but in general. My father uh, being a, a half-empty class person. You know, you have these different types of people. Uh, uh, is the glass half full or is it half empty? But his language was most often about the glass being half empty. And I never really considered this to be of importance to me. You know, I, I thought, well, that's just who he is. But I discovered in how I started to talk towards my children that I also had a half-empty mentality. So I discovered it was not just his personality or language, but it had influenced my language. 
And I discovered even more because often um, my father could take things to the worst case scenario. So he could look at a situation and describe the worst case scenario. For example, we would be walking along the riverbanks and he could go, well, watch out that you're not stepping too close to the uh, river because you could fall in and then the river could take you and you could die. So, and there were so many cases like that, that I considered them to be of like normal because that was his language. But hearing that language all the time has programmed my mind to think about the worst case scenario immediately. I can see the worst case scenario without even thinking about it. And I started to project that towards my children as we were walking along the river. And also in many other life scenarios where I could just see the worst case scenario. And I remember my wife often wanting to talk to me about it, uh, suggesting that I am too catastrophizing in, in certain areas. And I, but I just saw her as being too naive. But eventually I had to come to the realization that uh, my upbringing had influenced my thinking and my outlook. And <clears throat> becoming aware of that has helped me so much in uh, changing my outlook, in uh, training my brain to think differently about situations, uh, in talking differently towards others, towards my children. You know, we can be very appreciative of the things, the good things we've learned from our parents and, and them uh, raising us with, with good values and everything else. But in every upbringing, there are also some things that have influenced us in a negative way. And th th that has nothing to do with the respect you still hold towards your parents. And, you know, I, I respect and I love my parents very, very much. <clears throat> um, but we, we also need to become aware of, of the things that they were unhealthy in, the things that they uh, have passed on to us. And as we become aware of that, and, and uh, you know, of course, it's different from child to child, but what are the things that have negatively impacted us uh, in terms of our upbringing? What are the, the thoughts and the convictions that are not so healthy? When we become aware of that, we can then change it for the better. So what's the kind of language that you have heard? And how has it influenced you? Let, let me ask you some more questions in this regard, looking at your family of origin. How were issues resolved? Was there a positive way of conflict resolution? Was there a lot of anger outburst or a lot of silence? Was there any attention for your emotional health? I think especially this last question um, is important to consider uh, because my generation, I'm, I'm in my 40s, has been raised by the boomers. And boomers often have not been raised by parents who have given them attention on their emotional health. You know, in the post-war generation, there was uh, a lot of focus 
um, uh, building up society, working hard, and uh, physical activity, and not maybe talking about things. Things were sometimes swept under the rug, or if it was too hard to talk about, we didn't talk about it. Well, if our grandparents didn't know how to deal with this, then they passed that on to their kids, who also didn't know how to deal with this, who were not aware. So they passed it on to us. But now in this generation, I find there's much more attention to emotional health and becoming aware of your emotions and why you respond in a certain way. So we have a lot of work to do. Uh, so let, let's think about these questions. Um, could you be yourself? Or did you have to try to be someone else in order to feel value and love? All these questions can be looked at in depth after making a genogram. I don't know if you've ever heard about a genogram. When I first heard the term, I had to look up the meaning, but let me tell you the meaning right away. A genogram is a visual representation of your family and the relationships between each member, including their medical and mental health histories. So it, it's so much more than a family tree, uh, because a family tree is, is just the names of your grandparents and your grand grandparents and your uncles and your aunts. But a genogram looks at the relationships between all those people and tries to write down as much information as you know about those relationships. Are these relationships uh, enmeshed? Are they estranged? Are they, do they have a positive connection or a negative connection? So it provides very extensive information about the family and each member in it and their interconnectedness. And making such a genogram, it will take time. It, it could be confronting, but it will help you identify how various patterns in your family of origin impact your current beliefs and behaviors. So it will help you understand why you think and act in a certain way. And in coaching or therapy, you can be guided to make such a genogram and afterward to talk through the implications for you today. And this has opened my eyes as I did this, and I'm sure it will open your eyes as you do it, suddenly you understand why you talk to your children or spouse the way you do. You'll get deep insight in, into your own unconscious beliefs and motivations. You'll get a perspective and a hope uh, of becoming whole and healthy. It can be challenging or confronting work, as I said, to do such a thing. As you get confronted with uh, unhealthy relationships or connections in the, in the past, uh, even though, as I said, you can be appreciative of your upbringing and, and respect your parents, in every upbringing scenario, there are things that you need to uncover, uh, things that you are not aware of that have influenced you. And the work you put in this, it will pay off. These insights, they open a way to a fresh start, learning to mend wounds and growing stronger because of it. In my coaching, I offer deep insight into the culture of, of your family of origin, your previous church or business environment, and that can influence you as a person. 
Um, and you need someone else to uh, lay bare these patterns, both the unhealthy patterns and the healthy patterns, so you, that you can see them for what they are, so that you can be redirected into a more holistic perspective. This will help you understand where you come from, how it affects you today, and being now aware how to live out a tomorrow with newly received insights and deeply transformed thinking. Okay, let's move on to number two, the second major way you will get to know yourself. So here is number two, discovering your drivers and stoppers. In the journey to you becoming you, a major influence is the beliefs you form early in life. For example, a belief held by many people that holds them back in life is, I'm not good enough. So it's important to start thinking about beliefs that you have learned as a child, not just conscious beliefs, but unconscious beliefs. And it can be challenging to discover these, but as you spend time with a coach or a psychologist, uh, it will help you see you and it will help you see your unconscious beliefs. As a child, when you grew up, you heard or assumed negative messages about yourself. This happens mostly subconsciously or unconsciously. These negative messages are called stoppers or prohibitions. And they were given to you by your parents or they were assumed by you. So you assume that your parents gave you this message. So these prohibitions, there are 12 of them. They, they are things that you cannot or should not be. I'm going to list these 12 stoppers. And as I list them slowly, pick one or two that stand out to you. It, it, it will trigger you. And not all 12 are beliefs that are held by you, but every single person has at least one or two of these prohibitions. So these are beliefs that you uh, have put on yourself. You have said to yourself that you cannot or should not be this. And as I list these 12 prohibitions, the, these 12 stoppers, with one or two, you will find that it triggers you. And that could be your unconscious belief, your unconscious prohibition. So here we go. The 12 stoppers are, number one, don't feel. Number two, don't think. Number three, don't be a child. Number four, don't grow up. Number five, don't do anything. Number six, don't be important. Number seven, don't belong. Number eight, don't be close. Number nine, don't be you. Number 10, 
don't succeed. Number 11. Don't be healthy. Number 12. Don't exist. Now I'm sure it can be confronting to listen to this. I encourage you to pause here or stop here if, if this touches you or if this confronts you. Or to rewind and, and listen to these 12 stoppers again, trying to identify which one or two are triggering you the most. Now, what happens is that um, all of us believe one or two of these prohibitions subconsciously. And to counter for that, we form one or more of six drivers. Again, this happens mostly subconsciously. So we counter for this negative, deeply seated negative belief. We counter for that by forming a driver. Drivers are things you tell yourself that you must do or be. So it's like a commandment. You must do or be this in order to receive acceptance or value. So which one or two of the following uh, list of drivers stand out to you? Once again, I'm going to read it slowly. And one or two of these things will trigger something in you. And that could be the driver that is driving you, the commandment that you have put on yourself. So here we go, the six drivers. Number one, please others. Number two, be perfect. Number three, be strong. Number four, try hard. Number five, Hurry up. And number six, be careful. So try to imagine that you are swimming and you're trying to keep your head above the water. And as you swim through life, there are some things that drag you down. These are the subconscious prohibitions that you have come to believe such as don't feel or don't be you. And they drag you down. You're trying to swim through life, keeping your head above the water, but these things continually drag you down. They stop you. That's why it's called a stopper. So to counter for that, you have formed uh, a driver, which is almost like a balloon trying to keep your head above the water. Uh, you attach yourself to these balloons so that you will stay afloat. For example, be strong. As, as long as I'm strong, then I will survive. Then I will be able to keep swimming. Or please others. As long as I can please the other, then at least I can keep my head above the water. Or be perfect. And that's where perfectionism comes from. And now in a lot of psychology, especially in the past, in a lot of psychological counseling, the focus has been to get rid of these um, drivers. The focus has been to deal with the drivers, with the balloons that try to keep you afloat. 
The, the problem with that is that let, let's say that you are a perfectionist and um, that you have a driver be perfect, which is actually my driver. Um, and, and you go to a psychologist and the psychologist goes, okay, we need to deal with this. Uh, we need to deal with your perfectionism. Uh, and let's say that you only focus on that area. Well, that is equivalent to cutting off the balloon that keeps you afloat. So you have a balloon keeping your head up, off, uh, uh, up out of the water, you know, because you're being dragged down by the bricks, by the, stop, by the stoppers, you're being dragged down. You have a balloon called perfectionism. But what happens, guess what happens when you cut off this balloon, you will sink rock bottom because you haven't de dealt with the stoppers. You haven't dealt with the prohibitions that you still believe. If you still believe, don't feel, or you still believe, don't be you. Well, you can deal with perfectionism all you want, but you will sink to the bottom. So current psychology uh, focuses on it much better, at least the good psychologists, of course, they focus on the prohibitions that you believe. And as you deal with these bricks trying to drag you down, as you deal with them, you, you, you have far less need of a driver to keep your head afloat. And these stoppers and drivers, there are messages that have led you to your life script. And in creating that life script, um, a, a child will often attempt to juggle these. You know, for example, it's okay for me to go on living and ignore the don't exist message that I feel as long as I try hard. That, that becomes a script. And we need to focus on the stoppers first and get whole in that area. Then we need the drivers less. But this all does explain why some change is extraordinarily difficult because it goes so deep, you know? And if you just stop trying hard, well, you still have these prohibitions dragging you down. You still have, you don't have the right to exist in your mind. It was being suppressed by your driver, try hard, but you need deep work to get whole and to start to believe it that you do have the right to exist. And then you need your driver less or you don't need him at all anymore. So now think about this question. What might you have learned as a child that may be holding you back today? Rewind this podcast and listen to the stoppers and the drivers again, the prohibitions and the commandments. What if you could change your deep-seated belief? What if you can create a new lens to look at yourself and at reality? And what would that belief be? What would be your new belief?
remember, when you hold a belief about something, you are right. And you have evidence to back it up. These beliefs talked about are not easy to change. But as you start to notice them, as you start to become aware of them, as you start counseling in this area, as you start becoming free, getting to know the truth of who you are by God's word, you will get whole. Here is number three. The third major way you will get to know yourself is coaching. I don't think that's a very, that's a very surprising way to get to know yourself. I referred to it already a lot in this episode, the value of talking to someone else. You see, a lot of leaders are flying solo. They don't see the glasses they are wearing. They don't see their outlook on the world, which is uh, logical because <clears throat> by definition, you're the only person that don't see the glasses you're wearing until you look in the mirror and you suddenly realize, hey, I'm wearing glasses. <clears throat> and what other people are seeing all the time, you now come to see as well. And having a coach will help you see you. And it will help you not miss your blind spots. Because having blind spots, you know, we all have them, but ultimately that will negatively affect our own happiness and the lives of the people around us. World-class athletes have coaches to improve their performance. World-class singers have coaches to improve their performance. Every leader needs an experienced coach. Not, not to improve their performance necessarily, although that could also be a, a benefit, but to help them see themselves with fresh eyes. Because when you as a leader uh, get to know you as a person, get to know your unconscious beliefs and motivations and outlook on the world when you get to know you better you will grow in personal happiness you will grow in peace um, it will be benefit to your spouse your children your co-workers your church and your business because a good coach will ask probing questions and will leave room for you to discover more about who you are in your own tempo. And that will make you a more rounded individual, able to love yourself more and able to love others more. There are a lot of leaders who have a lot of success, but are unable to maintain that success or unable to carry it forward because their inner life needs to carry their outer life. They need to get to know themselves better. So with the right help, I believe you can become a healthier individual. Your outlook can change and your joy can improve. And I'm here to help. Just check out my page and all the information there at growahealthysoul.com. There are different coaching and consulting programs that I offer, uh, different pathways for you to discover you to grow in inner health and that will lead to a happier life and long lasting performance 
Uh, in closing, I, I want to share um, my Grow a Healthy Soul Consult program. So this goes much further than just coaching. And I want to talk to you about the unique approach of a Grow a Healthy Soul Consult. You can check all the information once again at my page growahealthysoul.com. But here is a brief overview. My soul consulting program helps you rewire the inside. So you become a more joyful, rounded and healthy individual. What is a healthy soul consult? A grow a healthy soul consultation is like a consultation with a GP, but then in the area of inner health. So rather than go to the outer health doctor, you go to the inner health doctor now i must say i'm not a therapist i'm not a um, psychologist but i do offer expertise for emotional health development learned in the school of life and in having received extensive coaching myself in the last couple of years and i'm going to pass on all the things that i've learned um, you will receive expertise for the mind-body connection and how your body can experience pain due to emotional and mental problems. Um, I have made several podcasts about that. Uh, check it out. Um, and you will receive expertise also in proven spiritual practices, such as Ignatian meditation. Uh, where And, and also, um, I have podcasts about this. What I do in a Grow Healthy Soul Consult, uh, I will first have extensive interviews with you. So I get to know you, your background, you fill out different questionnaires. And after that, I give you specific personalized tools to grow in inner health in six different areas. And that comprehensive inner health program does include coaching, but it, that coaching will flow uh, from all the uh, interviews and the ensuing personalized program that, um, that we've made together. And so it's a much more focused uh, approach. And um, a lot of the areas that I talk about in my podcast, we will dive into in a deep way. Um, so check out growahealthysoul.com and, and see if I can help you in this area. God bless you and thank you so much for listening. And I pray that the insights that you have received today uh, will lead you to discover you in a fresh way, to uh, discover afresh the love God has for you. And as you love yourself more, to love others more. God bless you and have a great day. Bye-bye.